Good morning, brothers and sisters. As we uh, gather together for worship, we do so in the presence of our holy God, and let us therefore lift up our hearts unto the Lord. And we confess together that our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. Amen. Receive God's greeting, grace to you, and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's sing together from our book of praise, and we'll sing from uh, Psalm 95, stanzas 1, 2, and 3. our custom every Sunday morning, we'll listen to the Ten Words of God's Covenant, that is the Ten Commandments. Uh, This time I'll be reading them from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 5. Every time we hear the Ten Commandments, it does begin with those words that God had brought His people, Israel, out of Egypt, out of bondage, out of slavery, and into the Promised Land. 
And what this also teaches us then is that the law which God has given to his people is indeed a law in which is a law of redemption in the sense of it's how we are to live in the redemption that has been obtained for us. It's not like following these Ten Commandments is somehow going to save us, but it is on account of our salvation that we are indeed given these laws. Now, for us, it's not the salvation um, from slavery in Egypt. That was really just a picture of the great slavery that is common to all men, and that is our bondage, our slavery to sin and to Satan. When we think about this, then we'd also have better understanding too, and this is something which I'll be preaching about um, this morning, uh, the the difference between the the fourth commandment in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, and why Deuteronomy 5 gives that explanation that why we are to keep the Sabbath day has a lot to do with our redemption, our redemption for for Israel out of slavery and redemption for us, of course, from sin. But let me read to you the Ten Commandments from Deuteronomy 5, beginning at verse 6 where the Lord said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and the fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy, as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work, you nor your son nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any of your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord your God has commanded you that your days may be long and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, his male servant, his female servant, his ox, his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. And then following this, these words the Lord gave to you, to your assembly in the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud, the thick darkness, with a loud voice, he added no more, and he wrote them in two tablets of stone, and he gave them to me. And so we have it in Scripture for us also today. Let us then also sing together in response, and that is uh, that we may sing of uh, uh, the Saviour whom God has granted to us. Uh, we're going to sing together from Psalm 118, verse 6.
Let's come before the Lord in prayer and ask for blessing over this service. Lord God in heaven, you are a good God. You're a God who has revealed yourself to us, your people. You're a God who called us out of our misery. You're a God who called us to yourself. You called us to, to seek you. You called us to, to know you. You called us to believe in you. And you called us to a salvation that is ultimately in you. Yes, it is you from beginning to end. For you are the one who, who planned it. You are the one, O oh God, Heavenly Father, who then brought it to pass by sending your Son, Jesus Christ, into this world. And you are the one, O oh Lord Jesus Christ, who came as both God and man, that you might live a perfect life, fully obedient to all the commands of your word. And then you took our sin upon yourself, so that it might be in you that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed. And that's such a beautiful thing, and we thank you for it. Yes, as we could also sing, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Our Lord Jesus Christ, despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, is he who is our Lord and our Savior. And we praise you for that. And Lord, that also means that when it comes to, to our daily life, when it comes to what we do and how we act, there's only one way to live. And that is to live in the redemption obtained for us in Jesus Christ. And so, Father, we also pray then that through your Holy Spirit we may be eager to serve you and to walk in your ways more and more. And that we may love you. That we may also realize, Lord, that in everything which we do in our life, in all of things, in all that we, how we conduct ourselves uh, in our families, in how we conduct ourselves amongst our friendships, in how we conduct ourselves in, in our workplaces, in how we conduct ourselves also when it comes to to showing love and concern to others, also others who, who are faced with great challenges in life, when it comes to our attitudes towards those who are in, in a less privileged position than us, Lord, we pray that in all of these things, we may indeed reflect who we are and who we are called to be in Jesus Christ. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that you indeed grant that also this service and every time we come together for worship, may also instruct us in these things. And that your Holy Spirit also will work in our hearts mightily. And that we may indeed rejoice in you, the God of our salvation. And that we may indeed live to the praise of your glorious grace. And may that then be to your glory, to your honor, yes, to our blessing, and certainly to the benefit and the blessing of our neighbor. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll hear us then in Christ's name. Amen. You have the opportunity to give your thank offerings to the Lord and we have a collection for the work of the deacons. May the Lord indeed uh, bless our uh, offerings and that the abundance which he gives to us may indeed be a blessing to those uh, in need within our congregation and indeed also those uh, who are further abroad or so. Following the collection, we'll be singing from Psalm 95. Now, we sang Psalm 95, verse 1, 2, and 3 at the beginning of the service. We'll find as soon as you get to verse 4, it takes a sudden turn in some ways, this particular psalm. 
and, and it w- goes from a psalm of praising God and of worshipping Him and bowing down to Him to, to a word of caution and a word of warning or so. Uh, we're singing this in, in connection with the sermon, which deals with rest, of course, the, the, the fourth commandment, and also because this is taken up in uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, which we'll be reading from. So Psalm 95, verse 4 and 5, after the collection.
Well, in my own uh, congregation, the uh, church in Melville, I'm taking a slight break from uh, just preaching through the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, one laws at a time uh, for myself, just uh, for a little while, and spending a little bit more time on the, the fourth commandment, and um, working through uh, six or seven sermons on this commandment, just looking at different aspects of it um, as revealed to us in Scripture. And I recently preached one uh, with the message, you shall keep the Sabbath because it's a sign of God's covenant with you. Now, this is something that for myself I hadn't really done a lot of work on before, and um, uh, I found it quite encouraging for myself, so I'd like to, um, to share that uh, sermon with you. So let us turn to three portions of Scripture, from Exodus 31, then Ezekiel 20, and then from Hebrews chapter 3. Our first scripture reading is Exodus 31, verse 12 to 18. <clears throat> Remember here, Moses is uh, on Mount Sinai after the giving of the Ten Commandments, which was uh, reported in Exodus chapter 20. And this is then the, the last words that the Lord says to Moses before he heads back down the mountain again. Verse 12, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. Everyone who profanes it shall surely be put to death, for whoever does any work on it, that person shall be cut off from among his people. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh is the Sabbath of rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day, shall be, he shall surely be put to death. And therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout the generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the children of Israel forever, for in six days the Lord made the heavens and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And when he had made an end of speaking with him on Mount Sinai, he gave Moses two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone, written with the finger of God. Let's now go to the prophecies of Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 20. Now Ezekiel was a prophet who was uh, brought into uh, to Babylon with the first number of uh, people who went into exile there. There was three waves of people, three times that they had an exile of different people taken away into Babylon. Uh, Ezekiel was there in the first time. It was also a time in which the people back in Jerusalem were still insisting that everything was okay, uh, that the people in Babylon would soon be going back, that there would be no further destruction in Jerusalem because ultimately Jerusalem was the place where um, the, the temple was. The temple would never be broken down. It was God's favored city. The city would never be taken away. And a descendant of David was on the throne and this would never change. And Ezekiel was there to warn the people saying, hang on a moment, that's not how it works. But in Ezekiel chapter 20, we're going to read verse 1 through to 32, where we can see also how he speaks about the Sabbath day and uh, how their breaking of the Sabbath day was indeed a, a major concern and a reason also for uh, the coming of the exile. Chapter 20. And it came to pass in the seventeenth year, sorry, in the seventh year, in the fifth month, on the tenth day of the month, that certain of the elders of Israel came to inquire of the Lord and sat before me. 
Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, speak to the elders of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Have you come to inquire of me? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of by you. Will you judge them, son of man? Will you judge them? Then make known to them the abominations of their fathers. Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, On the day when I chose Israel and raised my hand in an oath to the descendants of the house of Jacob and made myself known to them in the land of Egypt, I raised my hand in an oath to them, saying, I am the Lord your God. On that day I raised my hand in an oath to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land that I searched out for them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands. And then I said to them, Each of you, throw away the abominations which are before his eyes, and do not defile yourselves with the idols of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me and would not obey me. They did not all cast away the abominations which were before their eyes, nor did they forsake the idols of Egypt. And then I said, I will pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles among whom they were, in whose sight I'd made myself known to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Therefore I made them go out of the land of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness. And I gave them my statutes and showed them my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. Moreover, I also gave them my Sabbaths to be a sign between them and me that they might know that I am the Lord who sanctifies them. Yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes. They despised my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they greatly defiled my Sabbaths. Then I said I would pour out my fury on them in the wilderness to consume them. But I acted for my name's sake that it should not be profaned before the Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. So I also raised my hand in an oath to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, the glory of all lands, because they despised my judgments and did not walk in my statutes, but profaned my Sabbaths, for their heart went after their idols." Nevertheless, my eyes spared them from destruction. I did not make an end of them in the wilderness. But I said to their children in the wilderness, Do not walk in the statutes of your fathers, nor observe their judgments, nor defile yourself with their idols. I am the Lord your God. Walk in my statutes, keep my judgments, do them. Hallow my Sabbaths. And they will be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God." Notwithstanding, the children rebelled against me. They did not walk in my statutes. They were not careful to observe my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. But they profaned my Sabbaths. And then I said that I would pour out my fury on them and fulfill my anger against them in the wilderness. Nevertheless, I withdrew my hand and acted for my name's sake, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the Gentiles in whose sight I had brought them out. Also, I raised my hand in an oath to those in the wilderness that I would scatter them among the Gentiles and disperse them throughout the countries because they had not executed my judgments but had despised my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths and their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. Therefore I also gave them up to statutes that were not good and judgments by which they could not live and I pronounced them unclean because of their ritual gifts in that they caused all their firstborn to pass through the fire that I might make them desolate that they might know that I am the Lord. Verse 27. Therefore, son of man, speak to the house of Israel and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, 
In this too, your fathers have blasphemed me by being unfaithful to me. When I brought them into the land concerning which I had raised my hand in an oath to give them, and they saw all the high hills and all the thick trees there, they offered their sacrifices and provoked me with their offerings. There they also sent up their sweet aroma and poured out their drink offerings. Then I said to them, What is this high place to which you go? So its name is called Bama to this day. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, Are you defiling yourselves in the manner of your fathers and committing harlotry according to their abominations? For when you offer your gifts and make your sons pass through the fire and defile yourselves with all your idols, even to this day, shall I be inquired of by you, O house of Israel? As I live, says the Lord God, I will not be inquired of you by you. What you have in your mind shall never be when you say, We'll be like the Gentiles, like the families of other countries, serving wood and stone. So far the reading from uh, Ezekiel. Let's now turn to Hebrews chapter 3. We read from Hebrews 3, the New Testament, verse 12 to chapter 4, verse 13. Just above this in Hebrews 3 is the quotation from Psalm 95, the psalm which we sang together. Verse 11, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then verse 12, and beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not obey, enter it in because of unbelief. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed do enter that rest, as he has said, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest." although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today. After such a long time, as it has been said, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains, therefore, a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself ceased from his work as God did from his. Let us, therefore, be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. 
For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there's no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So far the reading from Hebrews chapter 3 and 4. So I'd like to preach to you concerning the, the fourth commandment, which is remember the Sabbath day. And I'd just like to uh, go back to Exodus chapter 31, verse 16. Exodus 31, verse 16. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout the generations as a perpetual covenant. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, I'd like to ask a question for you to think about. This is especially for those of you who, who uh, didn't actually grow up in your, your younger years in, in, in a Christian environment. That um, You became Christians later in life. And I'd like you to think back to, to the time when, when you first really came into really real strong contact, um, full contact with, with someone who is a Christian. I'd like you to think about what was it about that person that struck you? What was it about his or her way of life that struck you? Now, this is no time and the place for it, but if we were to have an open conversation about that uh, this morning, I, I think there'd be a number of things that, that we'd get to hear about and, and that would be mentioned uh, also, with respect to uh, just just how people would they, they would have approached you, how they interacted with you, uh, their concern for you, their love for you, and on all these things. At least I hope those are the sorts of things which uh, would have struck them. But when it comes to their way of life, uh, there's there's one thing in particular that I suspect would have stood out, and that is how they spent. The Sundays, they went to church every single week. And more often than not, in our Reformed context, twice on a Sunday. And that's something for all of us to think about, because for most of the time, we as Christians, that, that we, we look pretty much the same as everyone else living on your street. Uh, we live in the same type of house. Uh, we, drive, we drive similar types of cars. We get dressed in similar types of clothes. We get our hair cut, cut in similar types of styles. Uh, most of us work in the same type of industry. We go shopping in the same supermarkets. We eat the same kinds of food. And so outwardly, at least, we're, we're not so different Except on Sundays. On Sundays, we are different. For the average non-church-going Australian, Sunday, it's a day for, for working around the house. For doing a bit of grocery shopping. Ducking down to Bunnings. Playing or watching a bit of sport. 
catching up in a bit of work, going down to the pub, catching up with family, or spending the weekend out of town. But for Christians, Sundays look different. Or at least Sundays should look different. Because, and that's because for Christians, our weeks are structured to run from Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. Where each Sunday again, we set aside our regular daily activities. We come together for worship. And we spend a day, indeed a whole day, set aside to enjoy a special time of fellowship with God. Because that's what God wants. That's what He intended when He gave His people the Sabbath. The people of Israel, the Lord told the people of Israel, sorry, in Exodus chapter 31, verse 13, and the first part of verse 14, He said, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you or who makes you holy. You shall keep the Sabbath, therefore, for it is holy to you. And then verse 16, Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout the generations as a perpetual covenant. Now, since then, things have changed uh, for us as God's people, that is. Uh, we no longer live in the old covenant. We live in the new covenant. We serve God in the knowledge that the Lord Jesus Christ has come. And so the command to keep the Sabbath has in some ways changed. But in other ways, it hasn't. Because that call to keep the set one day apart as special was a day of rest and a day of worship. That day remains. And it especially remains for us as Christians. Since the Sunday is a sign of God's covenant with you. And so turning to what the Bible teaches us concerning the command to keep the Sabbath day holy. I preach God's word to you under this theme. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is a sign of God's covenant with you. You shall keep the Sabbath... Because it is a sign of God's covenant with you. Two points. First, a covenant sign. And second, a perpetual sign. Now, most of the time on Sunday mornings when we read the Ten Commandments, we read it from the book of Exodus. Uh, the, this is the time when God's people were indeed camped around Mount Sinai and the Lord is speaking to them from the mountain. This morning, however, we read the Ten Commandments in Deuteronomy 5, where Moses is recounting that event. And he's speaking to the people of Israel just before they're entering to the promised land, and he's reminding the people of what God had said to them 40 years earlier. And so the Bible gives us two different versions of the Ten Commandments. And these two versions apart from the occasional word here or there, are pretty much identical, except when it comes to the fourth commandment, the command to keep the Sabbath day holy. In Exodus 20, the reason for giving us the command to keep the Sabbath day holy is on account of the fact that God Himself had done so on the seventh day after He created the heavens and the earth. Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. 
Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he hallowed it. And we hear this very often. But a different reason is given in Deuteronomy chapter 5 verse 15. That's what we heard this morning where it says, And remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And so my question to you is, how come? Why the difference? Why did God give two different reasons for keeping the Sabbath day holy? And my other question is this, are those two reasons connected? Well, when it comes to the weekly Sabbath, the Bible is very clear as to why we have it. We divide our days into weeks, not because there is some natural thing in how the world goes. See, this is the situation with days. Uh, the world revolves in its axis over 24 hours. We have a day. This is the situation with a moon where effectively um, it was based on the, the understanding that, that we have a moon, a lunar a, a period, which is roughly about 28 days, but that's where our month comes from. We have that also when it comes to the year where we have 365 days because this is how long it takes for the sun, for the earth, sorry, to revolve around the sun. And so you have all four of your seasons in that time. But when it comes to the week, why we have a seven-day week, there's no natural explanation as to why this is happening. This is indeed something which is revelation from God. And the answer which we have from God's word is because this is how God ordained us to maintain regularity in our lives from the very beginning. Genesis chapter 2 it speaks about this, that, on the, that after six days of creating the heavens and the earth, and, and this is just how God chose to do it. He didn't have to do it in six days. He could have done it in one, and he could have done it in ten, but he did it in six days. And then it says, on the seventh day, God ended his work which he'd done, and he rested on the seventh day from all those work that he'd done. And then God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it. He declared it holy, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. And you know, this is why we call the Sabbath day a creation ordinance, a law that comes to us from creation. Just as there's laws about how we are to have dominion and subdue the land and, and to care for it and to tend for it and to protect it, just as we also receive from there the, the, the institution of marriage as that covenant between a man and a woman for, their, for lifelong commitment between one another. These are institutions, these are creation ordinances. And the seventh day, the Sabbath, is one of those. It's a law that finds its basis in creation itself. And the idea of resting, particularly being at rest with God and in the place where God put man in the world, this is something that God intended when he created the world. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, I'll just read that to you. It says that the Lord created the man, and it says, and I quote, and then the Lord took the man and he put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and to care and to keep it. Now, there's a couple of things I'd like just to mention with respect to that verse, that the Lord God put the man into the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. The first of the thing is this. When it says here that the Lord God put him in the garden... The Hebrew language in which this verse is, literally, is written, it literally says that the Lord caused him to rest there. 
In other words, God settled him there in the Garden of Eden. That was his dwelling place. That was his resting place. But there's something else there too. Why did he put him there to rest? To tend and to keep it. And so what we also see from this, that apart from that day of rest, that one day in seven, when it came to the Garden of Eden, this is before the fall into sin, Adam and Eve were expected to work. They were expected to work six days a week. But then what I also want you to understand here is that this work, which Adam and Eve were expected to do in the Garden of Eden, it was vastly different to the trouble, the pain, the weary toil, the restlessness that would soon be on account of the fall into sin. Uh, immediately after the fall into sin, the Lord God himself uh, sought out and found the man and the woman in the garden, and he spoke to them and talked to them about the consequences of their actions, the consequences of their sin. And then it says this, the Lord said to Adam, uh, he said in, in Genesis chapter 3, verse, verse, verse 17 to 19, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. You shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And so this, then, this is no, no longer mere work. What God describes to Adam here isn't just work, it's, it's bondage. Adam has not only become a slave to sin, but Adam, and Eve for that matter, has become a slave to work. He and we with him have lost the rest that God had prepared for them in the Garden of Eden. And what that means and, and what this is, what was like can be clearly seen in what the people of Israel experienced when they were in real bondage, in real slavery in Egypt. Uh, listen to, to how this is described in the, in the book of Exodus, right back in Exodus chapter 1, where it's first described. In, in Exodus chapter 1, verse, verse 11, where it speaks about Pharaoh and what Pharaoh did. It says here, Therefore they set taskmasters, sorry, taskmasters over them to, to afflict them with their burdens. Do you hear that language? Um, taskmasters, uh, people there who were effectively overseeing them to make them work and afflicted them with their burdens. <coughs> And then verse 13, so the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar and brick and old manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. This is hard work. This is slavery. And then, and then chapter 2 verse 23, Uh, the second part of that verse. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage. And you hear that word bondage? They cried out. And their cry came up to God because of the bondage. 
And so God heard their groaning. He remembered his covenant he made with Abram, with Isaac, with Jacob. He delivered his people Israel out of the hand of Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And then God led them to Canaan, to the land which God said in Deuteronomy 12 verse 9, to the land in which he would give them rest. That's Deuteronomy 12 verse 9. And so what I want you to see from this is this really teaches us, this is why God gave the people of Israel two reasons to keep the Sabbath. The first reason is the reason of creation, because this is what God had intended for everyone at the beginning. And the second reason was the reason of redemption. Being rescued from slavery, because now God intended that Israel would have a new experience of the rest that he had intended for them and the rest that he was promising them when they went into the land of Canaan. And so what this means also then is that when they went into the land of Canaan, this was the promised land, God was placing his people, his redeemed people into this land to give them a little bit of a taste of Eden, of the Garden of Eden. Indeed, This is also why I believe that that the Bible describes Canaan with the same sorts of words as it describes the Garden of Eden in the first place. I'm going to give one example. Ezekiel 20, we read from this, verse 6. On that day I raised my hand in an oath to them to bring them out of the land of Egypt into a land I'd searched out for them, flowing with milk and honey, and the glory of all lands, or as ESV has it, and the most glorious of all the lands. It was indeed a land where every person could sit under his own vine, under his own fig tree, and be at rest. And that's why for God's people Israel, the Sabbath day was much more than just a command. The Sabbath day was a gift that the Lord had given to his people. And with that gift was a promise that God was working to restore his relationship with his people so that one day they might enjoy their true Sabbath rest with them. It's of little wonder, therefore, that the Bible makes a very clear connection between the giving of the Sabbath and the establishment of God's covenant. The giving of the Sabbath and the establishing of God's covenant, there's a clear connection between the two. And this is what God made clear in Ezekiel chapter 31. First of all, verse 13. Where he said, speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbath you shall keep. It is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. That's covenant language. Language of that relationship. This is what covenant is, right? The relationship which God has with his people. He says, I'm your God. You're my people. The Sabbath, which God had ordained at paradise, was now a sign between God and his people. In verse 16. Therefore the children of Israel shall keep the Sabbath to observe the Sabbath throughout the generations as a perpetual covenant. Or a covenant forever. And so every time Old Testament Israel was to keep the Sabbath, they were to be reminded that God had established, had made a relationship a covenant with them, 
where they could live at rest with him in the land of rest that God had provided for them. And in addition to that, the Sabbath was also a time of instruction, for teaching, for being reminded of what it actually means for us to to live in covenant with God. And this is why Exodus 31 verse 13, it says the Sabbath, it's it's a sign between God and his people throughout the generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. It teaches us. Having this day of rest teaches us who God is and what He's done in redeeming us and what it means that He's sanctified us, He's set us apart to be His people. And Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 19 and 20. I am the Lord your God, walk in my statutes, keep my judgments and do them. Hallow my Sabbaths and they will be a sign between me and you that you may know that I am the Lord your God. And brothers and sisters, this is why, this is why breaking the Sabbath, why profaning it, why it was such a serious matter. This is why God gave that that order, that command in Exodus 31 verse 14 in the Old Testament that everyone who profanes this day is to be put to death. And this is also then why the ongoing breaking of the Sabbath was a key reason for Israel being sent away into Babylon in the days of Ezekiel. Yes, that's right. It was breaking the Sabbath, which was a key reason as to why God sent them into exile. In Ezekiel 20, the prophet went all the way back to the time Israel was in the wilderness to explain how they had profaned the Sabbath. Uh, Chapter 20, uh, verse 13. Yet the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. They did not walk in my statutes. They despised my judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they greatly defiled my Sabbaths. And then verse 16. They despised my judgments. They did not walk in my statutes, but profaned my Sabbaths. And the heart went after idols. And then in verse 21, he also says again that they profaned my Sabbaths. And to profane means that they, they treated it as nothing. They, they, they uh, did not treat it as holy. They, they refused to obey and honor the Sabbath. And then verse 24 of Ezekiel chapter 20. Because they had not executed my judgments, but had despised my statutes, profaned my Sabbaths. And their eyes were fixed on their father's idols. And so this is something which God's people had already begun to do in the land of in the wilderness journeys. But this is not something which, which somehow stopped when they entered Canaan, the land of rest. As if then they began to keep the Sabbath. To the contrary, and I'll just read a couple of verses from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 17. Uh, because this was a common sin of theirs. And, and then Jeremiah 17 verse Verse 21 and 22, it says, Thus says the Lord, take heed to yourselves and bear no burden on the Sabbath day. In other words, don't carry a big load on the Sabbath day or bring it into the gates of Jerusalem, nor carry a burden out of your houses on the Sabbath day, nor do any work, but hallow the Sabbath day as I commanded your fathers. Quit taking all your, 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 your stuff that you want to take in uh, to sell into the city, it says. Drop your burdens. And he says here, take care, keep the Sabbath for the sake 
of your lives. But Israel did not take care. They did not listen. This is what Jeremiah 17 verse 23 says. But they did not obey or, or incline the ear, but they made the neck stiff, and that they might not hear, that they might not receive instruction. And that led God to warn His people in Jeremiah 17 verse 27. He says, But if you will not heed me, and you will not hallow my Sabbath day, such as not carrying a burden when entering the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle a fire in its gates. It shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. You see, this is what God said. If you're not going to listen, and you're not going to turn around and keep the Sabbath day again, I'm going to have the city destroyed. And that is exactly what happened. The Lord had given the Sabbath as a sign of His covenant with Israel. But in breaking the Sabbath, Israel also broke the covenant. And therefore, they were driven away from Israel, driven away from the land of rest, sent away into exile in Babylon. And now what about us? What place does the Sabbath have with respect to our relationship with the Lord? Is the Sabbath, which for us is the Christian Sunday, and I'm not going to go into that a lot today, but for us as the Christian Sunday, is this also a sign of God's covenant with us? just as it was for Old Testament Israel. We see this question and consider it in our second point, a perpetual sign. We'll be a little shorter in this one. It was already in Leviticus 26, verse 34 and 35, that the Lord spoke about what would happen in the land of Canaan should God's people be sent into exile on account of their sin. Sin that included breaking the Sabbath. And I'd like to read to you Leviticus 26, 34 and 35. It says here that if they broke God's covenants, they were sent into exile, this is going to happen. Then, when they're in exile, then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate and you are in your enemy's land, then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths. As long as it lies desolate, it shall rest. For the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. And that, of course, is exactly what happened when God's people were sent in away into exile, into Babylon. Jerusalem's captured, it's burned, temples destroyed, city walls pulled down. And then it says, 2 Chronicles chapter 36, verse 21, This was to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah, until the land had enjoyed its Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate to keep the Sabbath, to fulfill 70 years. And so the land was at rest for 70 years to compensate for all the lost weekly Sabbaths, as well as the sabbatical years, that one year in seven when Israel was to have a year of Sabbaths that Israel had failed to keep. But then when the exile was over, God's people returned to Jerusalem. The Sabbath remained a sign of God's covenant with His people. This is why in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 13, Nehemiah is so distressed when God's people were shown to be breaking the Sabbath day all over again. Uh, when he saw the people breaking the Sabbath, he said to them, and I'm just going to read that from Nehemiah 13, verse 17 and 18. He says to the people, what evil thing is this that you do in which you profane the Sabbath day? Did not your fathers do this? That... And, and did not our God bring all this disaster on us and on this city? 
Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. And Nehemiah put measures in place to ensure that the Sabbath would be kept, both by God's covenant people and also by the foreigners who lived with them. And Isaiah chapter 56 is another Bible passage which demonstrates the connection between the Sabbath and God's covenant after exile, where God gave this promise, Isaiah 56, verse 6 and 7. Also the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and holds fast my covenant, even them I'll bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. But you notice when he's talking about the foreigner and others who are going to come and to be part of God's house and be in his house of prayer, they too would be keeping the Sabbath, it says in Isaiah 56. Indeed, keeping the Sabbath is closely tied to the keeping of God's covenant because the Sabbath is indeed a sign of us resting in Him. And although some things have changed, also with respect to the day of rest in the new covenant, the Christian Sabbath, which is the Sunday, is still a sign of God's covenant with us today. And if anything, the connection between God's covenant and the Sabbath is stronger today than it was for Old Testament Israel. In the time of the Old Testament, Israel was commanded to look back at the time when they were slaves in Egypt and to remember how God had redeemed them and to bring them into the promised land. Their Sabbath looked back to a physical deliverance even as their Sabbath also called them to look towards the Sabbath rest that was to come in the coming of Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath. But we, however, look back to the fulfillment of what the Old Testament spoke of and to the salvation that is ours in Jesus Christ. And the New Testament church understood this, and this is why the Sunday was quickly received as the Christian Sabbath. But rather than calling it the Sabbath... The apostles referred to it as the Lord's Day to show that this is the day we remember our redemption in our Lord Jesus Christ. In his commentary on Exodus 31, uh, Philip Ryken, he wrote, and I'll just quote a few, verse, a few lines from him. He said, why did the early church celebrate God's holy day in the Sunday rather than Saturday? What gave the apostles the right to change the day? The answer is that they didn't change it. Jesus did. The only thing that could change the day of God's command was something as significant as creation itself, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God transformed His holy day from Sabbath to Lord's Day by raising Jesus from the dead. He accomplished this new exodus on Sunday, the first day of the week. From then on, the people of God, both Jews and Gentiles, observed Sunday as a day of rest and worship. The Old Testament people of God were looking forward to salvation. It was only right for them to have this special day of worship at the end of the week in anticipation of the coming of their Savior. But now that Christ has come, we begin our week by worshiping on the day of resurrection. We do not keep the Jewish Sabbath in all its particulars, with all its penalties, but we honor the Lord's Day by ceasing from our regular work and devoting the day to the pleasures of knowing God. And so what that means is that the Lord's Day, the Sunday, is a day for looking back 
Each Sunday again, we look back to creation when God Himself rested and declared the seventh day holy. Each Sunday, we look back to the Exodus, to the God's people Israel being redeemed from slavery in Egypt, being brought into the promised land, the, the land of rest. And even more, each Sunday, we look back to Easter when God raised Jesus from the dead and gave us true rest in Him. But on Sundays, we also do something else. On Sundays in particular, we look forward, not just backwards, but we look forwards to what Lord's the 38 of the Catechism calls the eternal Sabbath, the rest that is to come. Because neither the Old Testament Sabbath nor the land of Canaan was meant to be the full rest that God had planned for His people. Hebrews 4, verse 8, and 10, 8 through to 10 says, Because if Joshua had given them rest, He would not afterward have spoken of another day. There remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered his rest has himself also ceased from his works as God did from his. And that's then how we are to enjoy our Sabbath rest in God's covenant today. Our rest is in Jesus Christ, the one who came for us and for our redemption. Jesus kept the laws, God's law, including God's laws concerning the Sabbath. He kept it perfectly. He died for our sins. He rose from the dead. And now trusting in what Jesus has done, we as Christians may now rest from our works in the sense of no longer trying to earn our own salvation. And instead, we may rest in the completed work of Jesus Christ. It's in that way that we find our true and complete rest in Him. And one day, we will enter our full and final rest. But for now, we rest in Jesus. And we especially do that on Sunday, on His holy day. The fourth commandment, the command to remember the Sabbath day, to keep it holy, it still stands. It still stands not just on the basis of being one of God's laws, His ordinances from creation, but it still stands because it remains a sign of God's covenant with His people. Indeed, of all the people of the world, we, God's children, have every reason to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You're going to be different from your unbelieving neighbor in this respect because your weeks and indeed your lives are ordered entirely different to theirs. It's because we live in covenant with God, where He declares that He is our God and we are His people. And every Sunday we get together, morning and evening, we remember that, we rejoice in that, and we are instructed in that. And we're going to keep doing that until the Lord Jesus returns and the eternal Sabbath begins. We will keep His covenant also with respect to the Lord's day in this life in the hope and assurance of enjoying the everlasting Sabbath that will be ours on the new earth, the land of rest that He is making ready for us. Amen. Well, let's respond and sing together from Psalm 105, verse 15.
Well, let's pray. Give thanks to the Lord and ask him, uh, we'll bring before him those matters which were uh, sent to you by email uh, last night. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, indeed, that relationship which we may have with you, where you're our God, where, you're, your pe- where we are your people, is indeed an amazing and a blessed thing. Thank you for all that we have in Jesus Christ, the one who said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Thank you that we may know, therefore, that, that you are our God, the God of the covenant, the God who says, I am your Lord, who redeems you, who heals you, who sanctifies you. And thank you that you've given to us one day in seven, that we may celebrate this, that we may rejoice in this, and that we may also remember this and be instructed in this. And so, Heavenly Father, we do pray that for each of us here, that we may, first of all, uh, be instructed in what your word has to teach us with respect to the Sunday, and that we may take this seriously, that we may also heed the warnings of your word, warnings as we also read from Hebrews, uh, that we also sang from Psalm 95, of those who refuse to obey you and to walk in your ways will not enter your rest. But grant also, Heavenly Father, that we might not just simply see this as, as, as a law in this sense, but that we may also see the, the freedom, that we may also see the joy that is ours in this, yes, indeed, the incredible blessing of this day. Because, Lord, it just is that little taste of what's going to come when we're going to be with you always enjoying that eternal Sabbath. We pray that that day may come soon. And so grant that we may not be like the people of old who rejected you and your Sabbaths in the Old Testament, but that we indeed may seek to honor you in all of life. And it's also because of this that we then grieve for those who, who don't want to honor the Sabbath and who, who do not want to walk in your ways. And so, Lord, we also bring before you again those who mentioned last week uh, who have indicated that they no longer wish to, to serve you here. Uh, we pray, Lord, for, uh, for Wade, for Mackenzie, for Nathan. Inasmuch as this is also a, a lack of desire to honor you and to worship you and to magnify your holy name, oh, Father in heaven, we also pray that there may indeed be repentance and a turning back to you and to your people. Father in heaven, uh, we also pray that, that we might be able to uh, really share the joy of this day and the joy and the, uh, the wonder of knowing you as our God and to our neighbors for whom they have no rest. Your word says there's no rest for the wicked, and that's true. And so we pray, Heavenly Father, that this isn't a rest that we might just use selfishly, but that we might also recognize that it's calling us then to call others to know you and to rest in you also. Father in heaven, uh, we then also thank you for the work of ministry which we may not only have to do and may not only do here in the Rockingham district, uh, but also overseas. And Lord, we pray for uh, our brother Eric Dahan, who with Rambala will be visiting uh, churches in Bali and in Java. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you'll bless them uh, in this work and in their ministry. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that there too you may continue to gather people for yourself and that our ministry amongst them may also bring praise to you. Father, we also do pray for uh, 
work of ministry which is done also in a more formalized way by, by members of our congregation. And Lord, we pray for uh, the work which has been done by, under his wings in, in Armadale. Uh, Lord, such important work also to care for those who are, who are marginalized in our society and, and for others also. And Father, we do pray that you'll, you'll bless this work and we also pray that you grant your blessing uh, to our brother Woonings and to all others who are there as they, they carry out this task. And sometimes, Lord, it's hard because even as we uh, minister to those around us, uh, we, we know that we, we must and indeed we want to always remember their greatest need and that is to be set free in Jesus Christ and to be at rest in Him. But Lord, Your Word has things to say which, which isn't what all of society wants to hear. Also when it comes to ethics, uh, to sexual ethics, uh, to views in, on, on marriage and, and relationships and, and so forth. We pray, O Heavenly Father, that we might be wise as serpents, innocent as doves, and that we also be, may, be, may be bold, we may be clear, we may speak out that which your word has to say, and that we might do so in a way which gives honor to you, and is also with the deepest prayer that we might indeed speak winsomely to our neighbor, and so that they, whoever they may be, in whatever circumstance they may be, may also learn and understand and rejoice in the rest that is ours in Christ. Father, we uh, do also uh, pray that uh, you'll grant your blessing upon our congregation here in, in, uh, in Rockingham. We pray that you'll care for our pastor, Anderson. We pray that you'll bless him in his work and his ministry. Uh, we pray for your blessing too upon our, our elders and deacons. And Lord, Father, we also pray that uh, as we gather together, not only on Sundays, but, but also for Bible study and as uh, catechism instructions also given, uh, that these ways also, that we may grow in you even as we grow together. Lord, we pray that you'll uh, grant us uh, your, your blessing upon us also in the rest of this day. Bless us too in the week that lies ahead. We also pray for your blessing upon the consistory who have a meeting on Tuesday evening. Uh, we pray, Heavenly Father, that uh, uh, the conversations they have, the discussions they have, the decisions they must make may be such which is truly in accordance with your word and for the good and well-being of the congregation. We lay these things before you. I'm praying all these things in the name of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our final song for the service is hymn 83, verse 1 and 2.
Let us lift our hearts to God to receive his blessing and go in peace. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.